Good morning. I'd like to welcome those that are listening on the radio today. Today, we're going to have four of our confirmation students share their faith statements during the service with us. They've been working very hard on them, and they're excited, I think, to share them with us. So we'll be looking forward to that. There is one more wonderful Wednesday. If you haven't joined us on a Wednesday night yet, we encourage you to come for dinner. Dinner is served at 545. This week will be taco night. Come wrap up the Lenten season with us on Wednesday evening. There are many other announcements in your bulletin this week, so take a look at those. I'd now like to invite Tori up for several youth announcements. Good morning. So two weeks from today is our sunrise service, and I am so excited for it this year. The students and I met on Monday of this week to plan it, and we've decided to do something a little bit different. So we're going to have an interactive prayer service. So that means if you come to the sunrise service, don't expect to sit down the whole time. Because we will have different prayer stations set up all around the room for you. We're going to start the morning together in prayer and worship, and we're going to end the morning together in prayer and worship. But in between, you guys get to go to different stations that follow the life of Christ and in the moments leading up to his death. And so those stations will be a chance for you to reflect on his death, the things that he did specifically for you and for all of us. Um, and for you just to spend the morning in prayer. Uh, it's going to be really exciting. It's going to be different. The kids are excited for it. They all have their own prayer stations that they're designing and that they're going to lead you through that morning. Um, so we invite you to come. We invite you to come and be ready to participate um, and be ready to pray. It's going to be a great morning. So we hope that you guys can make it out for that. Thank you. Okay, please join me in the call to worship taken from Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. You have made them lower, a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands, and you put everything under their feet, all the flocks and the herds and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish in the sea, and all that swim in the paths of the seas. Please stand and sing hymn number 64. All creatures of our God and King, verses 1, 2, and 5. Thank you. 
be foregoing our normal greeting to save a little time this morning. So we'll go ahead and move right on to the children's chat with Maria. All right. Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. Good. All right. Well, guess what I have in my hand? What is that? A rock. A rock. It's a pretty cool rock. It's pretty flat. It looks like an ice rock. You know, I went down to my pond this morning to try to find a rock, and they were all frozen in, and so I had to go to plan C. So, this is, yes, it was icy this morning. So, now, some people carry a rock around in their pocket. Why would you carry a rock around in your pocket? They call them a worry rock. And whenever they start to worry, they rub on the rock, and they think that that keeps them more peaceful, calms them down. Do you think a rock can calm you down? No. Well, when you worry, what kind of things do you worry about? What kind of things do you worry about? Do you worry about if mommy's going to pick you up from the babysitter? Do you worry about a test? Yes. Yes? (laughs) Yeah. You know, usually when you're younger, you don't worry so much. But sometimes when we get older, we spend way too much time worrying. But some people carry around a worry rock in their pocket so that they can rub on. Oh, no. So, but there's a better thing to do when we worry. What else could we do when something is bothering us and we're worrying about something? What else could we do? Could we pray? Yeah. Yeah, we could. You know, In uh, John, he says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for his very reason I come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. So, when, when we have worries, And even Jesus had worries right before he died on the cross. He came to God and he's like, you know, are you sure this is what has to happen? But we can pray. We can pray to God. Okay? Troubles come into our life to make us stronger. And sometimes those troubles seem like they are just more than we can handle. But God is always with us. And he can help us handle those troubles. And we don't need a rock in our pocket to remind us that, that God can help us with our problems. Because God is with us everywhere. And we know that. Okay? So the next time something is bothering you, we can pray. Because we can pray wherever. We don't need a rock in our pocket to remind us that we need to pray. We can pray whenever. Like right now. We could pray. Should we pray? Okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we all face troubles in our life. Instead of asking you to take them away, let us ask that you help us face these troubles in such a way that we will glorify your name and that we remember to pray that you are always with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you, Maria. This time, we're going to have our next group of confirmation students uh, come up and read their faith statements. Uh, so I invite Haley and Ellie, Skyler and Dakota forward. As they come forward, I'd like to, to pray for you and, and pray that God uses this time as a blessing not only for you, but for us that are gathered here today. 
Father, thank you for each one uh, of these students and each one of the 12 that have been sharing their faith statements this month. Uh, Lord, I thank you for all of the the time and the commitment that they've put into these um, over these last two years as they've studied your word and spent time uh, learning about you and about how their faith impacts their daily life. And I pray as they share their faith statement this morning, as they make a, a declaration of their faith in you, I pray that you would calm their hearts and their minds, allow them to focus in on, on what's important, Lord. And I pray that this time would be a blessing not only to them, but to everyone that's gathered here today to, to witness and to hear what they have to say. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It's a reminder, I invite you to come forward and share your name and your life verse. I'm Haley Flutterjohn, and my life verse is Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. I believe that God is our Father. I know this because when I'm in tough trials or I hit a rough spot, I can feel that He is there with me. He is watching over me and reminding me that He will be there to answer my prayers. I also believe that God has a prosperous plan for everybody. Sometimes, when something bad happens, I tend to question God and ask why. But I am constantly reminded that He has a plan, and something good will come out of it. Another thing I believe about God is that He is a giver. To me, this means He will give wisdom, faith, strength, hope, and much more to those who need it. I believe that Jesus is our Savior. I believe this because Jesus died on the cross for us to forgive us of our sins. Jesus also lived a perfect life without sinning. I think this is a good example to all Christians because Jesus showed us how not to sin in temptation and rise above all earthly struggles to be a disciple of Christ. Jesus living a perfect life shows me how to do the right thing in tempting situations and it also proves that Jesus is God in flesh. I believe that every person must make the decision to accept the Holy Spirit into their life. To accept the Holy Spirit means to allow the Holy Spirit to be with you at all times to help strengthen your relationship with God. To me, this means when I accept the Holy Spirit, I am allowing my relationship with God to be strengthened. The Holy Spirit can also act like your conscience. This means that the Holy Spirit is always there trying to guide me on the path that will lead me to God by helping me make the right decisions. I plan to live out my faith by doing multiple things. One way I can show my faith daily is through my actions. I want people to be able to see God through me by me being generous, kind, honest, and most importantly, by showing God's love to others. I can also live out my faith by helping to teach the younger kids in our church about God. Fortunately, our church offers multiple ways to help with the younger kids, such as Vacation Bible School, Wonderful Wednesdays, volunteering in the nursery, and helping with Sunday school classes. I plan on staying active in the church in many ways. My goal is to attend church weekly and vote in all of the congregational meetings. I will also continue to participate in Bible studies, youth groups, and mission trips. I also think it is important to help mentor the youth and lead them to God, so I will help with youth activities as well. Hi, I'm Ellie Gable, and my life verse is Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I believe that God has a plan for me and knows what my future holds. He will never leave my side and gives me strength every day. He cares for me and puts people in my life to guide me in the right direction and to help me to have a better future. 
God wants to have a relationship with me and grow every day. He is fully committed to each relationship he has with everyone and wants to continue to lead and guide everyone to the right path, which will lead to eternity with him. He will be there through the good and bad of each day and always listens when we need someone to talk to. He gave up his one and only son to save us from all of our sins. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and died on the cross to save our sins. He is always there to give us a helping hand and guidance when we need it. Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. We can always count on him to help when we feel he is calling on us to do something and pursue those things he is calling us to do. He makes no mistakes and we can trust in him to lead us in the right direction. I believe that the Holy Spirit is God's messenger and helps God speak to people in different places and in the right moment when we need it. God uses the Holy Spirit to protect us and help us make the right decisions. I also believe that the Holy Spirit helps build my relationship with God. The Holy Spirit is another way for me to connect with Him. After I finish confirmation, I want to stay involved in the church and stay connected to God. One of the things I want to do to stay connected is continue coming to church. I want to continue spreading God's word to people that don't know about him and maybe just need that one person to tell them. Also, I want to always put God first, even in tough situations, and be kind and love everyone. I want to continue going on mission trips and staying involved throughout the church. Some ways I want to serve the church is participating in Vacation Bible School and Wonderful Wednesdays. I want to share what I know about the Lord with others and try to help them grow with, with the Lord. Also, I want to mentor kids that want to grow in their relationship with the Lord and guide them onto the right path because I know that having mentors is a huge help in growing in your relationship with the Lord. My name is Skylar Huff, and my life verse is Psalms 91.4. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. God is our creator. He made us all the way he wanted us to look, and he never wants you to look down upon yourself or judge others in a bad way. We are all created equal under his name and should love ourselves as he loves us. God is perfect. He is the creator of earth and all life. God is forgiving. He gave up his one and only son for us so that we can have a chance to be closer to him and give our hearts to him. He knows the plans he has for us. Therefore, we should never second-guess anything he does or gives us in life. We must give him full glory when we do the things he asks of us. Most importantly, he is my provider. He does not just provide me with a home and loving family. He gives me free will and a chance to make my own decisions in life. He provides me with the strength I need to find the path that is right for me in my faith. I have struggled greatly throughout this journey when trying to decide if it was the path I was willing to take. There were many moments where I felt like giving up, but gladly my family was there along with God to help me persevere. Jesus is my brother. He wants to have a family-like relationship with me and everyone else. He is my teacher because he teaches and instructs me new ways through difficult challenges I go through. I have gone through many hard times in my life where people have put me down and done anything possible to treat me in the worst possible way. It had gotten to the point where I no longer wanted to live here, and I was in a very confusing mental state. 
I had no idea why people were treating me like this, and I would just sit alone crying, asking God what I ever did to make them hate me. I realized that maybe it's not me, and maybe they're going through something much worse. I believe God taught me a very powerful lesson, which is you can never truly judge somebody until you have been where they have been. The Holy Spirit is one I really struggle to understand, but I believe that he will further my belief through life by being my guardian. He will never stop watching over me and will always be there to protect me from anything that might bring harm to me. He is a mind reader in a way because he always knows how I am feeling or what I am thinking. He is a personal therapist. He will always be there to talk or listen whenever I need him. The Holy Spirit is a healer. He can mentally and physically heal all of us by answering prayers and giving us never-ending strength through our pain. He is all-knowing because he knows what I'm feeling, thinking, saying, because he is spiritually a part of us, and he lives inside everyone, whether we are believers or not. When I was asked how I plan to live out Christ in my daily life, I had a hard time trying to find different ways to do so. I realized after a while that God does not necessarily want us to do big, extravagant things. He simply wants us to pray for a friend in need or help people find Christ who are not as fortunate to have a nice church or a Christian community. I also found that things we do every day, such as say hi to a neighbor or hold the door open for people, are the small tokens of kindness that God truly loves to see from all of us. I plan to live out God's word by simply being a good person. I cannot say I would be the best at living out my word because I can get sidetracked very, very easily. I don't always give God the credit or spread his word, but I know it will be a struggle to live out life that God has planned for me. But I do know that by giving my heart and all my faith to him, he will help me be the best Christ follower I can be. I plan to contribute my faith to the church by trying to make it to as many meetings as possible, and I will gladly volunteer to help with the kids at any VBS week or Wonderful Wednesdays. I think by being around the kids here, I will get an interesting perspective on faith. I listened to my sister when she was giving someone in my family a lecture, and she always brings faith into it. She talks about how God loves everyone, but he wants you to stop acting like a toddler. I personally think that in certain cases, kids might have a better grip on faith than I might ever have. If I ever see a younger student or older one struggling with faith or any problem, I know my job as a Christian is to help them and not stop until I know they're in a better spot. My name is Dakota Kennedy, and my life verse is 1 Corinthians 16:13. Be on your guard. Stand firm in faith. Be courageous. Be strong. God is my Father and Creator. He has a reason for putting me here and giving me a plan to accomplish something. He is the only true light that I need in my life. I can trust him to get me through the times when I have a broken faith. That's because God promises me to help me in doubt even if I can't believe in something myself. His plan for me is to change someone or something through my faith and to help fix broken faith. His son, Jesus Christ, came to show us that he cares about us. He died on the cross to forgive our sins and to give us a straight path toward a relationship with him. Jesus paid the greatest sacrifice just to be with us and protect us from sin. His death gave us the power to be able to talk to him and ask for forgiveness. He is my true, trusted, holy redeemer. The Holy Spirit helps me to have a true faith and believe in the Lord to help me against the doubt. When I accepted Christ into my life, the Holy Spirit worked inside of me to help me grow my faith. 
Through the Holy Spirit, God knows what I need to keep my faith strong. The Holy Spirit also speaks to me in ways that give me hope. This hope helps me know what my faith is worth and helps me gain faith. The Lord works in my life by showing me faith and hope to believe in the light of the world. Living out his word means to have the faith to take the leap into changing my life. I will love I will live for Christ because he helped me when I was doubting. I also want to do the same thing for someone else so they too can have hope in their faith. Everyone should get a chance to gain hope for their faith. I will live my life through Christ so that others can see hope. Showing my faith will help others see how the love of Christ has changed my life. I want to show my faith in a way so that people will see God working in me. To make this happen, I will follow God's plan for me. Following my plan will allow me to serve him and the church. Praise God. Thank you all for sharing today. Let's pray for them as they find their, their seats. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to, to hear their faith and to be encouraged by it, Lord. And I pray that, that hearing what they had to say about you and about their relationship with you, Lord, would encourage all of us to strive after you even more. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Keep in mind the family and friends of those who died in our service at Lima, Ohio. Specialist Jacob R. Wilkes, 20, from Oregon, Ohio. San Diego, Operations Specialist Second Class Anderson Lopes, 24, from New York. At Key West Naval Air Station in an F-18 crash, Lieutenant Commander James Bryce Johnson from Florida, Lieutenant Caleb Nathaniel King from Port Orange, Florida, and in Iraq from the United Kingdom, Captain Dean Sprouting, 46, from Jarrow, England, and in western Iraq, in the crash of a helicopter, Staff Sergeant Carl P. Ennis, 31, from Tallahassee, Florida, Master Sergeant William R. Posh, 36, from India Atlantic, Florida, Captain Mark K. Weber, 29, from Colorado Springs, Colorado, Staff Sergeant Deshaun J. Briggs, 30, from Port Jefferson Station, New York, Master Sergeant Christopher J. Raguso, 39, from Comic, New York. Captain Christopher T. Zanatus, 37, from Long Island City, New York. Captain Andreas B. O'Keefe, 37, from Center Moranis, New York. Let's pray together. Father, you are the God of all comfort and of all peace. And I pray now that you would be with those families who have experienced such tragic loss recently. Lord, it is a sobering reminder of, of the price that is paid to, to uh, defend our freedom. And I pray, Lord, that, you, that we would not take that for granted. And as we, we, can, and, and we pray for, for their comfort and their peace during this difficult time, 
And Lord, at the same time, it's also a reminder for us to, to earnestly pray for Your kingdom to, become, to, to come and to, for Your peace to be made known here in this earth. And so we pray, Lord, that You would come, that You would restore Your kingdom, and that You would uh, make all wars cease so that we no longer have to be concerned about these things and hear about the violence that takes place in this earth. Lord, we also lift up our, our prayer requests, Lord, that are, that are listed in our bulletin, the names that are represented there. I pray, Lord, that your will would be done in those situations as well. And Lord, that you would provide whatever it is that's needed. Because, Lord, we understand and, and believe that you are a provider, that you are our sustainer, that in everything, even the, the very air we breathe, Lord, is a gift from you. And we pray, Lord, now that you would provide in such a way that, that these concerns and these requests are answered according to your will, not ours and that you would provide uh, what it is they need, whether it's healing or restoration or provision, Lord. You know the intimate details of our lives, and you know how to answer those things according to your will. And so we pray all these things, Lord, in the name of Christ, so that you would be glorified. And we pray according to to the way that he taught his disciples to pray. Saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Invite those who are helping with the morning offering to come forward at this time. Our offering this morning goes to support our, our community vacation Bible school efforts this summer.
And if you can, please remain standing. Our gospel this morning comes from Jonah, chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east, east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Now, if you would join us in hymn number 303, People Need the Lord. Father, we thank you for this time as we gather to worship you, and I pray now that as we open your word together, as we wrap up our our series on the book of Jonah, that you would help us to see, Lord, uh, our our own need for your grace. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us and give us eyes to understand and hearts to understand and minds to understand, Lord, what you're trying to teach us this morning. And I pray you'd give me words to speak to communicate that. And it's in Christ we pray. Amen. When I was growing up in western New York, uh, we didn't go to a whole lot of firework displays because we may have um, done it on our own a little bit. Um, 
But but I remember one year going to uh, watch the firework display at Lakewood Beach on Chautauqua Lake. I don't know how familiar you are with the region, but Chautauqua is a pretty pretty good sized lake, and there's a lot of communities like around Lake Lakewood being one of them, Jamestown, Mayville, all the all those different uh, communities. And on the 4th of July, they would all coordinate their fireworks displays. So you could sit at the beach at any point on the lake and see the fireworks going off in these different communities. And it was really quite a sight to see. And, and people would crowd and crowd these areas. A lot of people would be on their boats out in the middle of the lake. Um, never got a chance to do that, but I'm sure that must have been a sight to see. But uh, just, to, just to be able to sit there and witness those fireworks was just something amazing. And people would, would camp out, and not camp out literally, but they would, you know, they'd put their chairs down and spend some time there in order to, to have the best seats to see the display. And, and actually, the, the finales were fantastic because they'd like almost take turns coordinating. And so you could see and witness not only the ones that were kind of right above your head, but also the ones in the, in the other communities. And it was something uh, people really uh, invested in. It's something that they took the time to, to sit down and, and witness. Um, and, and so what we're, what we're witnessing here at the end of the book of Jonah is like the finale. All of the, we've, all of the things that we've been talking about, all the themes that we've seen running throughout the book of Jonah are going to kind of come to a head here. Um, and so in a sense, this last chapter is that grand finale that, that we've been uh, kind of going towards this whole time over these last few weeks as we've studied the book of Jonah. But I share that analogy for another reason, too, and that's because uh, Jonah here is kind of like those people putting their, putting their chair down at the beach waiting for the fireworks. Because we see here in the story that Jonah, he goes outside the city of Nineveh. This is, remember, after he goes and he finally preaches there like God had called him to preach. And he goes and, and he sets up his chair and he's waiting to see what God is going to do to this city. I can just envision him like all of those people on those 4th of July celebrations uh, setting up their chair, maybe have some popcorn, and he's just ready to witness God's destruction rain down on this city. He's waiting to see uh, the fireworks that are going to take place. That's what he's going for. That's what he's waiting to see. But eventually, we see that God does not destroy the city like Jonah had hoped. He wants to see Nineveh burn, but God's judgment does not come to pass. Instead, the people of Nineveh, as we saw in chapter 3, repent from their sins and turn away from their evil ways and turn to the Lord. And God relents from sending that calamity. And so when this destruction, when that grand finale does not come as Jonah had hoped, he becomes angry. He's furiated that God would not uh, do as He had promised in, the, in that sense. That God in fact, showed grace and mercy towards the people of Nineveh. And so this chapter is all about Jonah's anger toward God. You see, as we, we witness a transformation take place in Jonah's heart and his mind throughout this book of Jonah, right, as, as we witnessed him on that ship on the way to Tarshish in the middle of the storm and then being swallowed by the great fish, he had a change of heart. And when he found himself once again with the opportunity to go to Nineveh and preach, he took it. But he did it kind of half-heartedly, didn't he? Did it a little bit begrudgingly. As we see here in this chapter, we get a, a glimpse for the first time in this whole book into Jonah's heart and in his mind. And what we see there is anger. Anger at what God had done in the hearts and the minds of the people of Nineveh. And so we see here first that Jonah's anger is revealed. 
we see finally the real reason why Jonah fled to Tarshish in the first place. And it's not the answer you'd think. A lot of us have many excuses as to why we don't do what God calls us to do, right? Maybe we don't feel like we're equipped. Maybe we feel like, like someone else can do it better than us. Maybe we say we don't have the time or the resources to do what God wants us to do. But those excuses are not what Jonah goes to here. Instead, he points to God's graciousness, to God's love, to God's mercy. And he says, that's the reason why I didn't go. He says, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. It's amazing to hear Jonah speak in this way. That the reason he didn't go and preach like he was told to in the first place is because he knew that the people of Nineveh would repent and he knew that God would be gracious to them. Jonah wanted to see Nineveh burn. And instead, he saw one of the greatest revivals described in Scripture. This description that Jonah gives is well known uh, throughout Scripture uh, in fact, it's the, the character description that God Himself gives to Moses in Exodus 34. And it's used over and over again to highlight God's compassion and His steadfast love. In fact, in the book of Joel, we see it. And it, it, there's a lot of similarities between this passage and what we see happening in the book of Jonah. And it's Joel chapter 2, verses 12-14. It says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to Me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and He relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Just as the people of Nineveh said, who knows, maybe God will relent. God Himself says, that's exactly what I would do. As people turn to Me with their hearts, as people people come and repent and turn away from their evil ways and turn back to the Lord, He's willing to relent from sending disaster. In fact, He desires to show compassion and mercy to people who put their trust in Him. See, in a lot of ways, we're like Jonah though, aren't we? We're okay with grace as long as it's for us. We're okay with mercy and forgiveness and love as long as, as, long as we're the recipients of it. Because we feel like we deserve it. But we don't always have the same opinion or thoughts for others, do we? You know, those other people who are much worse than us. Those other people that, are, that have it, are, are, are much more gone, farther gone than I am. But what we see here and what, what the, the message that God is trying to get across to Jonah is that His grace is for, for all who respond to Him. And so God's grace, instead of encouraging Jonah to reach out to people, it discouraged him from completing his mission. His knowledge that God would forgive all who repent, turning away from their sin and turning toward Him, caused him to run because he didn't want the people of Nineveh to experience it. He didn't want them to experience God's grace just as he had. But instead of discouraging us from our mission, God's grace should in fact motivate us to reach out to others. It should motivate us to fulfill the calling that God has given us because we know that He is gracious and compassionate. There's a story in the New Testament in the book of Acts about Peter and a Gentile named Cornelius. 
In Acts chapter 10, Peter receives this vision from God of this, all these unclean foods coming down out of heaven, and God instructs him to, to go and to eat, and Peter's a little confused. He's unsure. He says, Lord, you know I don't eat those unclean foods. You know I haven't, haven't eaten those since, since my youth. And God commands him, go and eat, go and eat. And eventually he realizes that the reason God gave him that vision is because he was about to be called to go to this Gentile named Cornelius. And as Peter shared the gospel with him about the death and the resurrection of Christ, Peter witnessed the Holy Spirit coming down and filling these Gentile converts, these new Gentile believers. And it was in that moment that Peter realized that, that God was pouring out His Spirit onto all people, not just those from Israel. And that was what motivated Peter to then go and share the gospel with even more people. Is the witnessing God's grace at work motivated Peter to then go and, and continue the ministry and continue to share. And that's the kind of reaction God desires in us. To be motivated to go and to share the good word, not to keep it for ourselves. And what we see here with Jonah is that he's standing outside of grace. As I mentioned already, he'd gone outside the city and he's setting up camp there to, to, excuse me, to witness what Nineveh, or what would come of Nineveh. In his physical location outside of the city symbolized Jonah's location outside of God's grace. He didn't, whether he didn't know about the revival or he didn't think it would stick, he was hoping to see some fireworks that day. See, Jonah was suffering from older brother syndrome. You're familiar with the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. The story of this wayward uh, person who goes and, and blows his father's inheritance and sinful living in a faraway city. And, and, and he returns and experiences God's unconditional love and unconditional grace expressed through his father, welcoming him back to his family. But we often don't pay attention to the story of the older brother. After his, his younger wayward son returned home, it says in Luke chapter 15, beginning of verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. See, like the older brother in the story, Jonah is upset about God's graciousness. He's upset about the extent that God's grace has the reach that God's grace has in the lives of, of lost sinners. He's angry that someone less deserving has experienced God's grace. And like the father in the story, God comes out to confront Jonah about his anger. Just as the older brother was outside of the party refusing to go in, Jonah is sitting outside the city of Nineveh refusing to accept the reality of the revival that's taking place. And so we, looking at this story, need to, we need to examine our own hearts. Are we experiencing the symptoms of older brother syndrome as well? 
See, God's grace should cause us to rejoice, not sulk in anger. God's grace should motivate us to share the good news, not keep it to ourselves. So where do you find yourself today? Are you in the city of Nineveh rejoicing that people are experiencing God's grace and being saved and and being returned and restored back into a relationship with Him? Or are you sulking outside the city, upset that God's grace could reach even those people? So Jonah's anger is revealed, but it's also confronted. We see this interesting story, this living parable of the, of the plant that springs up overnight and the worm that then destroys it. See, in this, in this passage, Jonah is still on the run. He had run off to Tarshish, but we find here that he's still running from God. He did what God wanted him to do, but he did it half-heartedly. God relented in his anger, but Jonah became angry. God's grace is being poured out within Nineveh, but Jonah was sitting outside the walls hoping to see some fire and brimstone. And he may not have physically fled like he did the first time, but Jonah's heart certainly wasn't in the right place. And so God appoints this plant to, to come up overnight in order to shelter Jonah from the, the scorching sun and the, and the wind. And just as quickly, He appoints a worm to destroy it overnight. And sends an even harder wind, an even hotter wind to come and to to blast Jonah as he sits outside the city. And it's the same, just as God appointed the storm in chapter 1 and just as He appointed the fish to rescue Jonah from the sea, God appoints these things not to to punish Jonah, but to teach him a lesson. Not Not to... not to punish him, but to draw him back to himself. You see, these appointments were acts of grace. They were all meant to bring Jonah back to God. See, Jonah's problem was that he was too comfortable. He was too comfortable and he valued his own comfort over God's mission. Jonah's more concerned about the death of the plant than he was over the potential death of those Ninevites apart from God. He was unwilling to give up his comfort in order to to pursue God's mission. And that comfort can mean a lot of things. It can mean our physical comfort. It can mean our material comfort. It could also mean our relational comfort. How we interact and relate to our friends and our family. Jonah was more concerned over the death of the plant because it provided something for him. We were actually talking about Jonah in our Sunday school class last week. And and Adam Rohrbaugh mentioned this point. It's something I didn't even catch. The plant was providing shade for Jonah. The plant was doing something for him. And so at its loss, he grieved it because it it had provided something and benefited him. But whether the people of Nineveh lived or died was of no concern to him because it did not affect him directly. We live in a very give or take, what have you done for me lately kind of world. And so the people of Nineveh were of no consequence because they didn't affect Jonah's life. And so we, like Jonah, need to quit seeing people as commodities. We need to quit seeing people who were created in the image of God as something that, could, that could, we, we can assign value to whether or not it affects us. We need to quit viewing people as commodities and decide whether or not they're worth our effort. Because the reality is that everyone is worth it. Everyone deserves God's grace. Everyone, I should say, is in need of God's grace. 
And none of us are beyond it. So we need to examine our priorities. Do we really value our stuff? Do we value our own comfort? Do we value those things that are a benefit to us? Or are we willing to put aside our own preferences and our own interests in order to pursue God's mission and share His grace with others? It's exactly the question that God poses to Jonah here in the closing verses. Jonah's anger was revealed, it was confronted, and finally his anger here is questioned. And it's questioned a second time, really. There's this mirror of of the two commissions that he receives to go to Nineveh. And and, and here in chapter 4, we see these two questions about his anger. The first question is is about Jonah's anger towards the mercy that Nineveh received. And the second question is about the anger toward the plant's destruction. And he says that he's angry that Nineveh received mercy and he's angry that the plant was destroyed. When really it should have been the other way around. Right? He should have been concerned more about the, the, the potential destruction of Nineveh than he was about some plant that was here today and gone tomorrow. And the question God poses to Jonah is, shouldn't, shouldn't he, God, care for Nineveh, the people that he made and the people that were created in his own image? See, we are worth more than many plants. We are worth more than many sparrows, as Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour, to your life? See, God cares about people. And therefore, we should care about people more than our comfort, more than the things that bring us uh, uh, passing joy in this life. We should value people above all. And so that brings us back to the question, the question that I entitled our sermon with today, who deserves God's grace? Well, honestly, the answer is no one. None of us deserve God's grace. None of us have earned it. And really, the question isn't for us to answer ourselves. It's God's prerogative. It's God's decision to extend grace to those whom He will extend grace to. And we know from His Word that He chooses to extend grace to all who respond faithfully and obediently to His call. There are no other qualifications. Simply those who have responded faithfully and obediently to the Gospel. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 teaches us that, there is neither, that, that we are all one in Christ Jesus. There's neither male nor female, slave nor free, but all are created equal in Christ Jesus. And we see that reiterated in Romans chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. It says this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's the good news. The good news is that we can't earn God's grace, that none of us deserve it, and yet He extends it freely to us through the person of Jesus Christ. 
Through His death and His resurrection, He has made grace available to us all. And it's not up to us to decide who qualifies for it and who doesn't. That's God's decision, and He's made it clear that that grace is available to all, to all who respond freely in faith. So I want to challenge us today. We have Easter coming up here in two weeks, two weeks from today. I want to challenge us to think about someone to invite to that service. Not to boost our numbers or anything like that, but so that someone, whether it's a neighbor or family member, a child, a parent, a sibling, a coworker, someone who is in need of God's grace. Someone who you know is in need of it, because we all are. We all need to hear the truth of God's saving grace through Jesus Christ. And that what great opportunity, but on Easter morning as we celebrate His resurrection, to, to proclaim that. And so I want you to think of someone to invite. Think of, think of someone that you can extend that invitation to so that together we can celebrate the forgiveness that we have in Christ. Together we can celebrate the joy of God's grace. None of us deserve it, but yet we all have the opportunity to respond to it freely. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. Thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us sulking outside the city, but that you come and that you meet each one of us. And Lord, I pray that we, like Jonah, can learn the hard lesson of your grace. That it's not something for us to hoard for ourselves, but it's something that we should extend freely to everyone we meet. That we can point all people to you, our Savior and our Redeemer, who has made forgiveness possible. Lord, none of us deserve it, and yet you offer it to us freely. And there's nothing more we can do but but thankfully and prayerfully receive that for ourselves. Thank you, Lord. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. God is faithful even when we are not. So let's stand and in closing sing about his faithfulness. Let's sing number 43, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.